Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Well, Zarin. Oh, hey. What's up, Elizabeth Dutton? Uh, Nothing much. How are you doing today? Oh, man. I've just been sitting here gazing out at the culture, considering the ridiculousness. Mm -hmm. And, okay, did you know, I was wondering this because, you know, the times. Yeah. And I was like, what creature, what vertebrate creature has the smallest brain to body (laughs) weight ratio? Right. And I was just thinking about that. And Mm -hmm. it turns out the answer is the bony eared ass fish. What'd you call me? <laughs> the, the bony-eared <laughs> assfish. Now, in case you're wondering, and I know you how curious you are about things named assfish. Very. This is a form of eel, to cusk eel. Mm. And uh, that's it. It's a 3.75 centimeter long little uh, fish. And uh, that's it. That is the smallest brain to body weight. So there you go. A little ridiculousness there for you. Is. I like that. That is ridiculous. You want to know what else is ridiculous? That's what I'm here for. Building your entire career on a false identity. Ooh. That's ridiculous. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free, right? Yes. And 100% (laughs) ridiculous. All right. To begin my lecture, cultural identity. Ah, yes, a fraught subject. It's weird. It's a weird thing. (laughs) Well put. Well, we have groups that we're born into, Mm -hmm. and then ones that sort of claim us, the ones that we claim right back. Mm -hmm. Like, let me give you an example. Please. 
I like to say that my ethnicity is Californian. (laughs) It's very fitting for you. Right. Like any other cultural or ethnic ties that I have are so far removed that they don't really have an impact on how people see me or how I see myself. Interesting. Yeah. So like I don't have it. I can't touch it. Like, you know, if you go back far enough. I'm a Mm -hmm. fifth generation Californian. Oh, then you're definitely an ethnic Californian. Completely Californian. It's my history, mm-hmm. it's my culture, my cuisine, my perspective, my very state of being. Mm-hmm. People joke. You were joking the other day about how most Red Hot Chili Pepper songs are about California in some way, shape, or form. Yes, I did. You know what? I'm here for it. I, I get it. I know, you know you, you and know. Anthony Kiedis share a view of California <laughs> that not the rest of us know about. We exactly. don't see the purity of vision you have. Yeah, and I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry no, we're the ones out. missing out. Not you, you and Anthony Kiedis. Exactly. But that said, uh-huh. there are cultures to which I feel a great kinship. How so? Uh, like the some Scottish? Cases, well, no, I feel really comfortable in Italy. Hmm. I love it. It feels right. The I don't know why. The culture feels right. The yeah. food, not just the like, totally. oh, I like the architecture. It's everything about Everything. It. I'm okay. fascinated by the culture, history, art cuisine, just the soul of the place. The way that people are. If you want to try and lump all of Italy into a monolith. Which is very difficult, but yeah, I'm with you. Really a collection of city-states. Do you have any feelings like that? Uh, Communities that I feel a certain kinship Mm -hmm. with? Uh, Yeah, 100%. I would say that the Scandinavian, like, berserker Viking thing, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, (laughs) if if I see anything about that, and I I do have on my mother's side some Swedish heritage, but I don't know why it's so loud in me. Mm -hmm. So I feel that it's probably more of an affinity that I have. Right. And it's not like my ethnic heritage bubbling up. But anytime I see a Viking, I'm like, yeah, that's my people. Yeah, now, you feel makes connection. Makes no sense. You know, same thing for pirates, but that's more of an occupation. Right. You could, Yeah, it's a multicultural occupation. Yeah. Okay, so for my love of Italian culture, mm-hmm. say, I'd never go around and tell people that I'm Italian. No, no. No. I wouldn't give myself a fake name and concoct a backstory. <laughs> Elizabeth Dantino. <laughs> Massimo. Um, I wouldn't pretend to speak for all Italian. Italians. Or with a bad Italian accent? No. <laughs> Just thinking of certain movies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> House of Gucci. Yes, that's the one. That is the one. That, yeah, that's a whole other episode of ridiculousness. <laughs> and it's a crime. Um, I wouldn't play into pre- any preconceived notions about Italians mm-hmm. and like base my false identity on my poorly understood and unresearched ideas about yes. Italians. You would never run afoul of the Italian-American community? No. Wouldn't dress as a caricature, mm-hmm. like, a little, like a plumber, <laughs> cartoon plumber, as part of my fake identity. But you know what? That's exactly what Edgar LaPlante did. Just Who's not with Edgar Italians. He was born in the U.S. Okay. To a French-Canadian family mm-hmm. with zero ties to the First Nations. Okay. The indigenous people. So he's peoples. like Acadian? Yeah. But one day, Edgar decided that he was Native American. <laughs> he just woke up one day he and felt he felt kind of Native. Felt he's it like... deep in his bones. And then he ran that con completely off the rails. Oh, man. This is going to be good. <laughs> so that's Edgar LaPlante. He was born in 1888. Okay. Fun okay. time. Get Just put yeah. yourself in the time and place in Central Falls, Rhode Island. Shout out to Producer Big Dave, Dave Kusin, yep. Rhode Island. One of the whoop. few affordable places to live anymore in the greater Providence area. Oh, good to know. Central Falls. I'm sure it's lovely. House hunters, be warned. <laughs> so Edgar, when he was 14 years old, he got caught scamming change from local businesses. Okay. And was sent to reform school. Now... Uh, I'm sure that he learned all sorts of stuff there. It's a great education, reform school. <laughs> but he also, you know, he did learn to sing when he was there. 
Like you're not using that as a euphemistic like, la, 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 oh, Okay, la, yeah. Not like yeah. he became a rat. Yeah. <laughs> He really learned to sing, Johnny. Uh, no, he could carry a tune. When he was in his early 20s, he moved to New York. So turn of the century. Okay. Uh, by 1910, he was working at Coney Island as a ballyhoo man. Oh, word. Mm-hmm. That's a profession. Saren Webster's Dictionary defines ballyhoo as a noisy, attention-getting demonstration or talk, mm-hmm. flamboyant, exaggerated, or sensational promotion or publicity, or excited uh, commotion. Thank you for the Webster defines. When I was teaching college English, <laughs> there were two ways to make me completely lose it when grading essays. Hmm. If you started an introductory paragraph with, in today's society. <laughs> we live in a society. Or if you used Webster's Dictionary defines <laughs> fill in the blank as anywhere in the paper. I had an automatic 10-point deduction mm-hmm. on essays if any of those popped up. Students knew it. It wasn't. And they still did it. In today's society, oh, I would just, I'd get hot on that one. I wonder what they were thinking when they were typing it. Nothing. This is a winning opening. They were thinking nothing. It's lazy writing. Yeah, Lazy brained. So this ballyhoo, this would be the same as like a a barker, right? Like the person? Yeah, exactly. Thank you for bringing me back on topic. Hey, I'm here for So uh, Edgar, ballyhoo man, Coney Island, 1910. Coney Island in 1910 is such an incredible place. Oh, yeah. It was the Atlantic City before Atlantic City. Right. Seaside neighborhood in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Uh, Amusement parks, attractions, just general entertainment. Sin of all kinds. Oh, yeah. But like cotton candy. Oh, yeah. The attractions. The sin of cotton candy. (laughs) Thousands of people are there just walking around eating ice cream, riding rides, playing carny games, looking at emus. I don't know. And if, if I'm not mistaken, ice cream is a new thing at that time, too. So this is like a new taste treat. Everything is new and <laughs> Roller exciting are new. and penny candies. Pants are new. Pan- <laughs> um, yeah. So everything's new. Exciting. Smells great. Smells sweet. Yeah. Um, no, it doesn't. Uh, so anyway, back to Coney Island. Mm-hmm. And the Ballyhoo Man. Uh, so that summer, 1910, uh, Edgar was hired as a Native American impersonator by the W.H. Long's Big Indian and Medicine Concert Company. Wow. Very 1910 kind of outfit, yeah, right? that's what I'm picturing. Edgar toured with them. He did two or three acts a night. What was his act, you ask? I was so curious. Well, he called himself Chief White Elk, oh, and he just impersonated a Native American. And now was he doing like the grunts and the how and all I, that? Yeah, I think so. Oh, my God. <laughs> So he's on a medicine show. So they're basically doing patent medicine. So they're already trying to hoodwink the audience. And to get the audience to come and see the show, yep. they have a fake Native American yeah. person going, how? Here's the snake oil. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Here, he's so bad. So painful. So he mixes up concoctions with them. He sells them under the promise that they're ancient Native American cures oh my God. for whatever happens to ail the person with cash in their pocket. <laughs> <laughs> it can relieve you of the cash yeah. and pocket disease. This will cure you of having money. <laughs> So I, I don't forget, he learned how to sing in reform school. Oh, right. So he performed on vaudeville stages across the country, which in 1910, you know, were, you know. Oh, that was the thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, when he was performing in Key West. Opening he, for a young George Burns. Yes. He started calling himself Chief Harry Johnson. <laughs> you got to give me a warning I know, on that. I'm sorry. I, I blindsided you with that. <laughs> Chief Harry Johnson. Oh, man. So, like, that doesn't make any no, sense. No, it doesn't make That's any sense. That's just a bad euphemism. Yeah. Okay. By late 1916 now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in Arizona at an army training camp near the Mexican border. I was about to ask what he did in the war. Yeah. He said that he was Tom Longboat. 
He just keeps changing his well, native that's names. That's a famous Onondaga yeah. distance runner from the Six Nations Reserve, uh-huh. Brantford, Ontario, an Olympian, yeah. a war hero. So he's just bouncing around the groups, though, like an, Standing Elk, Longboat. These are very different populations. An actual person, though. Yeah. He's not just saying Chief Harry Johnson or Chief White Elk. <laughs> he's like, I'm Tom Longboat. He's not an Olympian in real life, uh, Edgar, but he was athletic and he won a one-mile foot race against the other soldiers. So they're like, oh, well, he must be. (laughs) He looked nothing like Tom Longboat. (laughs) Let me put that out there, too. But at the time, it's like you can't just go look it up. Yeah, no Google. You're like trusting the... His word is gold. Right. So he travels around the American West. He collects fees for speaking and singing. March 1917... He's still posing as Longboat. He's in San Jose, California, Mm -hmm. and he gives a speech at the First Baptist Church there. And he told them he was basically a doctor, (laughs) pretty much. Is that like a nurse? Well, he he said he he went to med school in Chicago. Okay. And then he said he spoke a bunch of different languages because he traveled all over the world. He said he worked as a medic in the battlefields in France. Okay. And then he also said that he, as Longboat, played on the then-famous Carlisle Indian Industrial School's football team that upset Harvard. Oh, very famous. November 11th, 1911. He said he was on that team. It's like, yeah, I was there. It's cool. Uh, (laughs) This guy. Again, he doesn't look like Tom Longboat. Yeah. People didn't notice. They didn't care. They just love a good story. Yeah. And they're like, the, the associative fame. Oh, guess who I got to meet? He enlists in the Naval Reserve. And he says, quote... My people have buried the tomahawk and hatchet and war paint, but they are ready to go to war with you boys to protect our own star-spangled banner if necessary. This story is going to—I'm worried about my eyes. They're rolling so far back in my head, I'm going to bruise them. They may detach. I mean, you—wow. Well, and you know he was doing it in, like, the bad bad accent. Mm, The tomahawk of my people is—I mean, like, come on, bro. So he also said that he, as Tom Longboat, had been severely injured by a bayonet and yet still medaled in the Olympics. So the only thing that we could be funnier is if he was bayoneted in the Olympics. In the Olympics. <laughs> and still medaled. He still did it. Uh, it uh, please note yes. that there were people, journalists and law enforcement, mm-hmm. that did catch on to him oh, at this God. point. And they would warn, the journalists would warn the next officials town. or journalists, yeah, in the next town who he was or where he'd just been. So sometimes that became public, and oftentimes it's because he was, like, getting in trouble with authorities, <laughs> and they start to suspect him, and then he blows Not town. Not Tom Longboat. <laughs> so he gets to San Diego, mm-hmm. and the San Jose Evening News called him out with his impersonation as fake, but he's already gone, and, you know, you'd have to get the paper. So it's like, oh, it's, that guy who just left. It's old news, yeah. Yeah. One way or another, he's able to get out of all these situations, Usually, he just denies it and leaves town. Now, oh, he's a good man. <laughs> after San Diego, he goes to L.A. Okay. And he calls himself Chief Harry Johnson when he's, <laughs> he's there. back to Harry Johnson. Yeah, it just felt right. And he disguised himself in a long black wig. Just dicking around. Love, <laughs> love uh, a long black wig. Love yes. a wig. Love a wig, any wig. A pale but headband. A long black wig? Moccasins. Buckskin pants with beads on them. And then around his shoulder, he wears the striped Native American blanket. Oh, geez. He's just a melange of different cultures. He's, so he's like a, a walking cigar store Indian yes. statue. Yes, that's like, his whole, okay. that's his vibe. 
So then he goes to the Midwest, and then he changes his name. He's Chief Tijuana. <laughs> Naturally. Sometimes he says he's Cherokee. Sometimes he says he's Sioux. But he's Chief Tijuana now. It's a big difference. Like, it's like if I wanted to pull off a fake Italian thing, and sometimes I say I'm from Luca, and sometimes I say I'm, I'm from Naples. Those are two very different things. I would go further and say it's more like saying sometimes I say I'm from Portugal, and sometimes I say I'm from Poland. Yeah, that's like, just different nations. Yeah, like two different nations and on the same continent, but way different. Yes. Different languages, different cultures, different environments, different regions. But hey. <laughs> hey, throw them all together. You know, I'm, I'm from the continent. Yeah, I'm European. I'm so he is swirling all over the country in these things. 1917, in the summertime, he makes it to New York City. Okay. Big Apple. Did you know they call it that? <laughs> I've heard this. Yeah. He goes to the labor employment section because I guess he didn't have a job. <laughs> and so one of the officers there had seen his act before. So, okay. oh my God, he's so honored. Tom Longboat, you need a job. You're here. <laughs> Edgar's like, well, sure. Uh, so they get him a job as a, as a seaman on the SS Antilles. Okay. And that's bringing uh, U.S. troops to France. Yeah, I figure that's what, yeah. Right. I'm just guessing everything going that way is We're going to the war. We're at that time, WW1. Through this, he winds up getting a certificate of identification under the name Tom Longboat. So he's now got U.S. government ID saying yes. he's Tom Longboat. Yeah. Okay. It's hard not to say Tom Longboat. Tom. Yeah. It's, it's hard. The, yeah. It's hard out there for me. That M&M, they want to switch. I know. Tom Longboat. <laughs> Longboat, we'll just keep saying. So while he's at sea, the Brooklyn Daily Eagle discovers that there are two men calling themselves Tom Longboat. Mm-hmm. Um, they think that Edgar was the real one. <laughs> and then the news caused enough of a dispute that when he gets back to the States, he's brought in for questioning. By the newspaper or for the police? By the police. Okay. He admits, look, I'm not Tom Longboat. Um, my real name is Thomas Tawana. <laughs> He's like, Tawana, get out of here. <laughs> Must have been fun when you didn't have as much ID. I mean, not just the Google, oh, yeah. but like when you didn't even really have IDs, you're just like, oh yeah, yeah. I forgot no, my I'm paper actually, license. You confused me with another dude. Um, so there's like too much heat on him. Mm-hmm. Too much attention. He blows town. He goes up to upstate New York. That's not a good move. There's no. a lot of native populations in upstate yes, and they kind of have... exactly. But he starts calling himself Chief White Elk again. Oh, Lord. Takes it back full circle. He says, again, he's telling people, I was on that Carlisle football team. Mm-hmm. He said he'd been wounded now in the Battle of Verdun. <laughs> okay, so, a very famous battle, but yes. Yes, World War One. He continues traveling around the country. He, like, gathers himself. He's like, okay, I'm just going to stick with the White Elk thing. He sings. He gives speeches. Sometimes he gives speeches about his experience in the war. This man... <laughs> Did not go. He didn't even... Well, yeah, I guess he did get on a boat. So. Yeah, and then dropped a bunch of guys off. Yeah. He was all, see you later. He saw Europe. He was like sea Uber <laughs> for them. And uh, he talks about the importance of enlisting. Okay. Even though he hadn't enlisted. Um, so, yeah, that's what he's doing. December 1917, he's in Laramie, Wyoming. He's caught by the authorities and arrested. For... Do we know what he's caught for? impersonating. Oh, he's caught for being yeah. like a fraud. And yeah. Not just for like, Yeah, oh. for defrauding all okay. these people. So a month later, they, they realized we don't have enough evidence to prosecute him. He's released under the promise to, quote, quit posing as a hero. <laughs> no more stolen valor for you, pal. <laughs> exactly. Do you think that he quit posing as a hero? I'm guessing. Now, this is just an educated yeah. guess, but I'm guessing no. Well, when we get back from this ad break, <laughs> I'll let you know. 
rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60 day money back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story by the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, we're back. Hey. Uh, when we went to the break, Edgar LaPlante was posing as a any variety of Native American, you real or imagined. Harry Johnson? Yeah, chief. Right. Harry Sorry, Johnson. I forgot I left out his appellation. He's sprinkling a fine dusting of stolen valor over the top of it now. <laughs> um, now frosted with stolen valor. I asked you if you thought he would obey the lawmen of Laramie, Wyoming, who told him to quit posing as a hero. And if I remember correctly, I did the math. And let me check my answer. No. You're correct. Yeah. You're correct. Instead, early 1918, he goes to Pueblo, Colorado. Mm, good military town. Yep. He says he's the Cherokee chief Clyde White Elk. <laughs> I like the Clyde. Clyde, throw that in there. And then he says he speaks six languages and 14 Native American dialects. Did he name the languages or just kind of say no. it so that way no one could test them no, on No, he's like, like, guess what? I went to medical school in Chicago, too. Parlez-vous français, chief White Elk? <laughs> He's all, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> they, yeah. So he, he keeps talking about being multilingual. He keeps saying that he went to med school in Chicago. Those are his like through lines mm -hmm. and his cons. 
He tours around selling war stamps and liberty bonds. For the government or just on For the, the government. Yeah, no, at first I'm thinking like, oh, okay, he did this and yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll pass this on to yeah, Uncle, Uncle Sam. Sam. Yeah, no, he was legitimately selling war stamps and liberty bonds. Oh. And as you know, war bonds, basically loans that citizens give to the government mm-hmm. to fund military efforts in times of war. Yep. Uh, taking that money out of circulation also controls inflation, as you know. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling you anything new. Just talking (laughs) to myself. Um, You can buy them in a bunch of different denominations. There's a low yield. But, like, it became really popular and easy to access for people because of the multiple denominations. Mm. You can do small amounts and still feel like you're contributing. So he's collecting them in all these different amounts. He would talk to service clubs community groups. He'd urge all these white folks to enlist at the same rate as Native Americans. That Wait, was his thing. Was that he a big said, deal? Was like, were Natives He said that Native Americans very, were outpacing everybody else Like in on a per capita basis, it's like more, more well, of know, my people are going yeah. to fight and as the great father. It is said that he sold $1.8 million in bonds in San Francisco in a single week. Wait, that can't be right. It is said. <laughs> I like that. People are saying that passes the fact check. People are saying that he brought in five hundred thousand dollars in war bonds in Oakland during a single lunch engagement. These numbers can't be right. Back then, how are you getting that? I mean, I don't even know if you went and like mugged all of the rich people you could get this much money. Maybe it's today's dollars. It's still amazing. He's good at his work. Yeah, the guy's charming, and he's quite the charlatan. So, but I mean, that's the thing. Like, I'm imagining that he's getting speaker's fees Mm -hmm. for this stuff. Sure. But he's raising money for the war effort. But he's also, he's got Rotarians out there giving out big chunks of money, I'm imagining. And people like that, these social clubs. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. March 1918. Mm Mm-hmm. He's in Salt Lake City. He's calling himself Chief White Elk. Do we know which first name at this point? Probably Clyde. You know, but Chief White Elk. But you can call me Clyde. Yeah, my favorite, Clyde. Um, he meets a 31-year-old woman named Atra Asan. Wait, say it one more time. Atra Asan. Atra Asan. A.K.A. Bertha Thomas. <laughs> so did he give her this name? No, she was born in Eureka, California. Uh-huh. Um, her mother was Yurok. Oh. And her father was white. Okay, I thought she was also running her own scam. That's what I thought, too. And I had to, like, stop the presses. <laughs> Everything screeched to a halt. And I was like, wait, please tell me, is this fake or no? She's real deal. Um, she was a trained nurse, but she was also a singer and actress, like most trained nurses I know. She was a favorite model of this photographer, Emma Bell Freeman. Okay. And I found a really cool picture of her taken by Freeman. I'll put it on the Instagram and tack it on out. my front door. Edgar and Bertha meet, mm-hmm. and they're dating within 24 hours. Back then, does that mean something different? Yeah, like they met at 6 o'clock on a Wednesday. <laughs> yes. And 6 o'clock Thursday, he's like, um, you want to be like boyfriend-girlfriend? Like, can I pin you? Yeah. And she's like, mm, I guess. You're kind of cool. Should we make it Telegraph official? And they did. They Well, yeah, they posted pictures of themselves <laughs> in Telegraph, and then they walked around holding hands, and everyone was like, oh, I think they're together. They're so cute, you guys. Um, 24 hours, two days after that, mm-hmm. uh, he asked her to marry him. Wow. He's like, my name, Chief White Elk, would like to marry you, Atra Asha. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Zarin. Oh, romance. I love a young love. I want you to close your eyes. <laughs> oh, God. My eyes. <laughs> They're rushing to close. I want you to picture it. March 13th, 1918. Salt Lake City. Mm, it seems so clean. <laughs> it is. The streetcars are packed 
on this crisp afternoon. Cars are clogging the streets. Crowds, they're all heading to the Capitol building. All this hustle and bustle. You, Zarin, mm-hmm. and 5,000 other people cram into the grounds around the Capitol building. So me and my entourage. Yeah. <laughs> A 31-piece band plays patriotic tunes as spectators gather for a rally that will include sales of war bonds and enlistment tables. Mm. The capital is dolled up. Flags, bunting, potted palms. <laughs> the works. 4 p.m. Salt Lake City Mayor W. Mont Ferry climbs the steps. Beside him, a very tall man wearing a large feathered war bonnet. <laughs> he wears... A whole beaded buckskin tuxedo, (laughs) head to toe. Uh, He's got on blue moccasins with American flag beaded onto the front. Oh, man. He has total Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow level of accessories. (laughs) He's got ribbons, feathers, furs, bells, a bone necklace. Beads in his hair. Yes. He's, maybe he's wearing eyeliner, (laughs) let's say. He's holding a tomahawk in one hand and a peace pipe in the other. Oh, God. He's full party city right now. <laughs> what we have here is Chief White Elk standing next to the mayor. Unmistakable. Then all of a sudden the band strikes up again. They play Longren's The Bridal Chorus, also known as Here Comes the Bride. Okay, right. <laughs> so enter Bertha. She's decked out in all white, dress, shells, beads, headdress, moccasins. I mean, it's her wedding day. Of course. The mayor conducts the wedding ceremony for all 5,000-plus strangers in attendance. Uh, The governor signs their marriage certificate. The governor's there, too? Oh, yeah. And they present the governor with bow and arrow as a thank you. Oh, man. (laughs) A great time's had by all. I bet it was. Hurrah! Um, It's not really known at that point how much Bertha knew about Edgar's true identity. Okay, so Okay, I'm with you. She had to have known he was full of it. I'm guessing. There's no way. He's not the only one to ever pulled this con. If she didn't know when she married him after knowing him for three days, then, like, she found out, though, because the marriage was a lousy one. Oh. Surprise. Uh, around this time, like, they get married. Edgar develops an alcohol and drug habit. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> he's doing He's doing morphine and co- cocaine. Wait. Yeah, he's doing coke. Yeah, that that's a serious drug problem. Yeah, he had then, this guy that was like a friend of his that supplied it with him, and there were rumors and innuendos about his relationship with that guy, but we're just going to leave that to the side. Okay, so like a World War One veteran opium yeah. problem kind of mm-hmm, thing? All mm-hmm. right. He's going for the full vet experience. <laughs> um, this is obviously tough for Bertha. I'd hope so. Yeah. So he continues to have these close calls with authorities. Summer of 1919... And don't forget, so they got married in 1918, mm-hmm. so a year later. I was there. Oh, that's Me and right, 5,000 people. It was a beautiful totally ceremony. Forgot. The governor was there, Were the mayor. You moved? Do you... I still get choked up when I think about I how beautiful it was. Do, I you mean, need a, do you need a second? The buckskin he was wearing just like felt buttery. so Did you feel real. it? <laughs> You're like, I'm in the presence of Chief White Elk. Yeah. I, Clyde, what's up? I'm pretty much just standing on the pages of history right now. That's beautiful. I'm so happy for you. Uh, he's having close calls a year later. Mm-hmm. Uh, he joins 
a lecture tour of Canada. This time he's calling himself Dr. Tawana, which at this point, Bertha's got to be like, look, dude, settle on a name. Now I know you're full of it. I don't know what to call you when I want to get your attention at dinner. He says, as Dr. Tawana, he's a survivor of the sinking of the Antilles. Uh, He's a Carlisle grad, college football star, Cherokee chief. He's going back to Cherokee. And he's an Olympic long-distance runner. So he's using longboat mythology, but he's saying that he's Dr. Tawana. Edgar and Bertha, they work together on various speaking and entertainment circuits. Um, But by late 1920, the relationship is really strained. Around that time, they also adopted a 15-month-old Native American baby that they named Ethel Lolita White Elk. Was that a dare? (laughs) Mark, what the hell? Ethel Lolita White Elk? And that's like, all of that is a lie. I know. Bertha can't cope. She's like, you're a junkie? I can't do this. I've got to take care of Ethel Lolita? Yeah. So she stops touring with him, separates, takes Ethel Lolita, and off they go. And I hope they find a better life. Is Edgar bothered by this? I'm guessing no. Not really. <sighs> so by late 1922, he's calling himself Dr. Ray Tawana. This is probably my new favorite name of his. Dr. Ray. Dr. Hey, Dr. Ray. He takes a French-Canadian lover <laughs> oh. and goes to England, you know, as you do. Yeah. You've done that. Uh, what re- I call spring break. Reporters are on hand for his arrival How did they in know? England. I'm sure he wired and he was like, guess <laughs> what? He gets there and he requests a meeting with King George V. As one He's does. He's like, hey, Cherokee royalty in the house. You chief busy? To chief, I want to talk to the king. Yeah. He's like, what are you doing on Friday? Uh, he did not get a meeting. Listener, he did not get a meeting. I'll wear my formal headwear. You wear your <laughs> formal headwear. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. They could just. Just a couple of kings having fun. Beautiful. So he performs around England just as he had in the state. He's not getting war bonds, obviously, but he's like, you know, giving tales of his people. Mm-hmm. But they had a war effort. Well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I don't he know doesn't why. care about them. Yeah. Uh, in Manchester in April of 1923, he met the unmarried 37-year-old Ethel Holmes, uh, who had a seven-year-old son named Leslie. And within three months, they were married. Fast on the job mm-hmm. with this one. On their marriage certificate, Ethel called herself a widow, which was not true. Ooh, bigamy? Uh-huh. And Edgar used the name Ray Tawana and said he was a doctor of medicine and that his father's name was Chief Waltrobe. Just, Just you know, random. Out names like... He's like looking around. He sees some like a, a tin of yeah, tea. Yeah, I was thinking of that. Exactly. Yeah. It's the usual suspects. Totally. Kobayashi. <laughs> totally. So September 23, the three of them, uh, what's he calling himself? Uh, Ray Tawana. Ray Tawana. Dr. Ray Tawana. Ethel. And then Leslie. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go to France and Belgium. And Edgar is now giving lectures back under the name Chief White Elk. <laughs> <laughs> and he's always got these ladies with him who are like, yeah, go ahead. The, 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 how easy it was to scam people yeah. is just off the chart. Yeah. You just well, show up and go, this is how it is. People are like, this is this how is, it is. This is my... <laughs> well, he gets to Paris and Paramount Pictures contacts him. What? Because they're like, we have this movie coming out, The Covered Wagon. So they ring him up. Ring, ring. Beep, boop, boop, beep. <laughs> like, hey, Chief White Elk, um, can you help us promote the film? Can you go to Nice and promote The Covered Wagon? He's like, no probs. Goes to Nice in the spring of 1924. He gets an actual Native American headdress. Because at this point, I think he's using Party City stuff. <laughs> so wait, He, he okay. gets the headdress from an American doctor living in Nice. Okay. 
And it was supposed to be a loan of the headdress, <laughs> yeah, we but know that he, the doctor never saw it again. But while he's there, he meets 27-year-old Contessa Antoinette Kevin Huller Metch. She's known as Ada to her okay. friends. Thank Ada. God, because I couldn't <laughs> do that again. So 27-year-old Ada. She gives Edgar 300 francs and says this is to tend to the needs of Indian orphans. And then invites him to dinner in Monte Carlo with her and her stepmother, which, how great is that? Once in my life, for once in my <laughs> life, I want to be able to, like, you know what? Hey, come to dinner in Monte Carlo. Yeah. Come with me and my aunt, the Contessa, or my mother, the Contessa. Why not? Why Why? Why not me? Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say here. Um, so come with me and my stepmom, 63-year-old widowed Contessa Melania, Kevin Huller Metsch. Come on, let's go to Monte Carlo. Are these like Austria-Hungarian? Oh, wait, no, we wouldn't be Austria-Hungarian after World War mm-hmm. One. So they're like former royalty at this point? Do you well, think they lost contestas. their empire? I don't know. Well, I think after World War One, you had all those people going around yeah. scamming, yeah. saying, oh, yes, I'm the, the Viscount of this, the no, Count of that, the, you know, They're whatever. really a Contessa of something. Yeah. So uh, they go to Monte Carlo. At the dinner, Melania gives Edgar 5,000 francs that she won at the casino. <laughs> this is like straight out of like a Bond film. Totally. Um, and she says this is a gift for Native American children because they're all concerned, feeling like they're a bunch of orphans. Um, he tells the Contessas that he was actually also an oil baron <laughs> and in, in in addition to being Cherokee royalty. Okay. So he's like, I'm, I'm Cherokee royalty. I'm king of the Cherokee. <laughs> And I'm an oil baron, and I also own a ton of land in Canada. That's that's yeah, me. I should have told you this. Let me tell you a little about me. Yeah. Uh, he explains, though, he's like, here's the problem, though, gals. Gather around. <laughs> British bureaucracy is temporarily holding my money because it's all very complicated, and I can't get into it. It's very confusing. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to confuse you, ladies. Um, I just need like a little loan because the Brits are holding all my money. He basically did the Spanish prisoner scam for himself. Yes. He's, he's like, like, if you could free me, I will gladly repay you. With- he's like, I will pay you back, but just mm-hmm. I need a little, I need a temporary loan. And then he tells Melania, well, the loans that you're giving me are going to be secured by sources and governments. And also, you know, I have bourbon lineage. <laughs> So not Maybe only I should have brought this up too. French somehow, royalty. Yeah. Somehow I'm French royalty and Cherokee royalty. <laughs> Don't ask. Let's just say kings recognize kings. Thank you. He says, my father, mm-hmm. what do you think his dad's name is now? Oh, I don't know. Pierre Blanc Elk. <laughs> he's he's getting he's getting like less and less creative. And it's more and more like I feel like he's looking around the room. <laughs> uh, Chief Yellow Robe. <laughs> he's looking at uh, Chief uh, Pretty Lamp, Chief Yellow Robe. Chief Shiny Shoes. He says that so that when they're saying, well, how is it that you're a Cherokee and a bourbon French royalty. Well, see, Chief Yellow Robe married my mother, who's the daughter of Prince Ludovic Mario of Bourbon. That's, I don't think it's a real person. Nah, I don't think so either. He himself had owned Edgar, was like, here's how I can tell you I'm legit. I once loaned the Empress of the Austro Hungarian Empire mm-hmm. a million lira after she was ousted from her throne. 
Okay. So that's like when I go around scamming people and be like, you guys, it's totally cool because one time I loaned Ga- Bill Gates like $7 million. Yeah, he just needed it because like I, the particulars didn't matter to me. Yeah, but it's I very like, confusing for you. I trust you. Do your thing. I just want to make this easier for you. Don't worry your head about these details. Uh, so at this point, his second wife, Ethel, mm-hmm. and the stepson. Leslie. Leslie. They had moved back to Manchester because like... They're still following him around, yeah. but now he's, you they know. They know scam, and yeah. they're like, we're going to go to jail. And she's a scammer, too, because she's lying. Feels on like the, it. Yeah. So Edgar goes back for a little bit to Manchester, like, please, please, baby. And <laughs> baby, then, <laughs> you must forgive me. And she's like, leave me alone. Um, but then he goes back to visit Melania. Remember, this is the 63-year-old stepmom. Oh, the Contessa, the Contessa, Contessa. Yeah. Ada is the one yeah, who's the more, young one. Yeah, and he's then, younger. Um he goes to see Melania because guess what? Melania caught feelings for Edgar. Oh, and he could just detect it with his like mm-hmm. spider scam sense. I think she put a little, slipped a little note in his suitcase that said, "Do you like me? Check yes, <laughs> Check yes. or no." Here's my hotel room key. And she's she's like, "Um, you want to be boyfriend and girlfriend?" <laughs> this happens a lot for Edgar over and over and over again. She's like, "Do you want to take a spin, a promenade around the square, holding hands?" <laughs> Will and you give me know? your varsity letter. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. Well, he was on the Carlisle football. He's a team. jock. So. Apparently, he wired a goodbye note to his stepson that read, Dear Leslie, your father must leave and never come back. Stop. That's like the worst <laughs> letter to get from you. Uh, spring 1924, Edgar's in Italy with Melania. And uh, things kind of start heating up. As in with the law? No, with his lifestyle. Oh. Let's take a break. Okay. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you how Edgar took it to the next level. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids, Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. 
Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. All right, Zarin. Hey, what's up? You got more from the White Elk for oh, me? Oh, you better believe it. Solid. So remember, when we left off, Edgar, still mm-hmm. going by Chief White Elk, not by Chief Harry Johnson. Yes. Which, that's a rude dude. Oh, that's right. Billy Idol's uh, uh-huh. drug buddy, Harry Johnson. That name has a real energy to rude it. Rude dude. Rude dudes. Uh, I don't think that... Edgar LaPlante has earned the title rude dude. Oh, no, definitely not. No, he's no, no. He's pretender to the throne. He's just rude. Yeah, he's just rude. So he, in rude fashion, he wires his stepson Leslie back in Manchester. Mm-hmm. Dear Leslie, your father must leave and never come back. And isn't he the stepfather? Yeah. So it's like, is he talking about Leslie gets like, hit like my dad? And then remember, the wife said she was a widow. So it's like, your dead dad must leave and never. He's like, rub it in, why don't you? So Edgar now... Spring of 1924. He's in Italy with Melania. Mm. They go on a huge shopping spree. Of course. You're with the Contessa. What else she are you going to do? She buys him gold watches. Multiple? Cust- yeah, multiple. He's got like three on each arm. He's like swatch watches. Did <laughs> yeah, you ever exactly. do that with the, the double watch? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had two swatch watches. Don't, don't worry about it. I ain't going to judge. Custom tailored suits. Two mm-hmm. swatch watches and Benetton sweaters. Okay, I'm judging a little. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, he, she bought him this expensive car uh-huh. for him to give to her <laughs> 25-year-old stepson when they met, George. His name is G-E-O-R-G. Oh, Georg. Georg. <laughs> it's friends without the R. No, no, it's George. like, isn't that the name for uh, the Von Trapp family? The dad is Georg is Von Georg? Trapp. Georg? Oh, yeah, okay, cause... so Georg, right? Uh, I'm going to go with what you're saying. It's The Sound of Music, Dad. That's all I know. Okay. I think I've seen that movie. Yeah, well, I, saw, I have a sister. I've seen it <laughs> Long a lot. Long ago. Um, so Melania has a 25-year-old stepson named Georg, and she's like, Edgar, you're going to love him, but you have to give a present when you meet him. And Edgar's looking around the room. He's like, a yellow robe. <laughs> she's like, no, he has this, like, souped-up car. So she keeps giving Edgar cash, um, he comes up with all these excuses of why he needs more. She buys into him. I've got in, a hole in my pocket. In July of 1924, he goes on a tour of Italy, paid for by Melania. Of course. And he's greeted by these huge crowds. What does he do when he meets the crowds? Uh, something racist. No, he made it rain, baby. He handed out cash. Get out. To these people. Is he wearing the headdress and, oh, like, yeah. handing out cash? He's totally, he's like, guess what? Chief White Elk's here, and it's time to party. <laughs> he's <laughs> Making just, it rain with, like, Indian, like, orphan like, money? Yeah, I'm royalty. Take it. And people are, of course, these crowds are being attracted. Like, hell yeah, mm. this guy is handing out money. He's living it up on the Riviera, so he gets, like, super tan. <laughs> and so it's really helping the costume game. Oh, he's God. just all greased up and tanned. Um, this guy, Paul Willits, wrote a book called King Con, The Bizarre Adventures of the Jazz Age's Greatest Imposter. Mm-hmm. the book on this cat. Okay. Um, he wrote, quote, His face had over recent weeks become quite bronzed, which chimed conveniently with his chosen identity. Bolstering this were his current clothes, white suede pants, <laughs> brightly hued appurtenances, an orange shirt, and a cloak embellished by a thick mink tail. 
His practice of wearing a feathered headdress, tucking a dagger into his belt, and puffing on a traditional long-stemmed ceremonial pipe in between cigarettes (laughs) also boosted his credibility. So, too, did his frequent talk of the land he owned. So let's just, I'm sorry, can we just stop for one second and put this vision in our heads of Captain White Suede Pants going through here? Chain-smoking white Dagger suede pants. Dagger in the belt. Yeah, he's like puffing the on belt. a cigarette, then he takes a little toke. Looking like George Hamilton. <laughs> so amazing. Um, he becomes also, in this frame, in mm-hmm. this phase of his life, a favorite of Italian fascist officials. I was just about to ask. I'm like, wait a minute. We're just post-Marinetti. The fascists and the mm-hmm. futurists have merged, and now you have them. Yeah, and they're like, we love this, this guy. This is amazing. He's incredible. He doesn't argue. He's like, I know. I'm yeah. amazing. <laughs> um, in fact, he spreads some of that cash. He tosses cash at them. He donates money to party offices, and he gets the title of honorary corporal in the militia. So he's an honorary fascist. Yes. He's only one of three men in Italy to have that title. They give to a fake Native American. (laughs) So he's running around with a war bonnet on, and he's like hamming it up all over Italy. He hired... Raising war bonds for the fascists. Well, he hires a 23-year-old senior officer in the fascist militia to be his private secretary. Okay. And he also tried, and then he failed... To have a personal meeting with Mussolini in Rome in late August 1924. Mussolini's like, there can only be one big ham in a room. He gets curved by... (laughs) I'm not letting anyone upset me. He gets curved by King George V and Mussolini. Back in Manchester, Ethel not happy with the current arrangement. So she mails a letter Mm -hmm. to the Contessa. Both of them. How does she know the Contessa's address? She just because mails she it to was, Contessa in she Europe? She was there in the beginning of it. Yeah, oh, that's right. like Santa Claus. You just, you just write they Contessa's. They know how to get it to her. The old one. And then they're like, <laughs> she draws like a rough sketch of her on the front of the envelope. Like, oh, yeah, that's Melania. Yeah, okay, Contessa the Elder. Um, proves to her, with the documents to prove to her that he doesn't have the money he says he has. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you do the documents that prove a lack of money? I guess like an empty a bank, bank statement? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know how I would prove I don't have any money. <laughs> like, here's but my empty bank. Um, somehow, though, either Edgar intercepted the letter or she didn't <laughs> properly address it and just drew a picture. My of, concern. Yes. Melania never gets the letter. See? Neither does Ada. Um, Melania, in order to finance him, she has to sell family property. What do you mean finance him? Is she sending she's him money? She's still giving, Melania's still giving Edgar money. What the? Yeah, so she's still giving money. She's like, oh, I gotta sell some property. Lady, what about Leslie? You got a baby. Come on now. What's, how do you say that guy's name? George? Georg. Georg. <laughs> yeah, Georg. I like that. <laughs> it's like Geoff. It's like Georg, Georg. but backwards. G. The stepson, he's like suspicious. He's like, okay, now you're selling property for yeah. this guy, and you keep saying that he'll pay you back. Um, he has connections in Britain. Oh so... wait, I I mistook it. Melania is selling property. Yes. I thought the wife in no, Manchester. Wife. I'm like, she how goes, is she? She goes to rat him out. The okay. letter doesn't make yeah, it. Yeah, and then Melania is selling Melania's property. Like still that's, selling property. That's on me. Okay, that's okay. I'm not. So, I I'm very confusing. No, it's all right. The, so the fail son now is catching the on. The fail to... son's like, hold up, I don't trust this guy. He starts an investigation, so he calls Britain. Beep, boop, boop, beep. <laughs> he sends a telegraph, but he knows how to address letters. <laughs> He's like, let's get to the bottom of Chief White Elk. So, Georg, I can't say that. He attempts to withdraw 300,000 lira from his family's account. Oh, his know, own money. Walking around money. Yeah, but his own yeah. account. Okay. He finds out the account's empty because of all of Melania's withdrawals. Oh, mm-hmm. Wow. 
So Melania convinces Georg that Edgar was good for the loans. Oh, poor now, Melania. Now, it's been years. It's you been a couple sweet years. sweet summer child. <laughs> Edgar feels the heat. Feels, 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 feels the heat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he promises to repay the full loan, which is at this point is over a million lira. <laughs> and by he says, I'm going to do that by December 28th, 1924. That's 10 weeks from then. Okay. So he gives them a deadline. All right. Yeah. But then he's like, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. How about January 25th, 1925? Give me a little bit more time and I'll repay you. And you know what? Plus 6% interest. That's not a small amount. No. Now, it's late November 1924. Mm -hmm. The Italian press and the government finally learn Chief White Elk, not Chief White Elk. Doesn't it? Finally catch up. Finally. And they're like, guess what, buddy? You're out of here. They go to kick him out of the country. Oh, the fascists care. They're like, yeah. we can't use this. This yeah. is not to our benefit. Right. Get out. So he gets escorted by Italian police to the Swiss border mm -hmm. on December 13th, 1924. And he's then relocated to a hospital in Bellinzona. So wait, relocated like they on the way there, he tripped a bunch and they're well, like, no, oh, you got to Well, no, he had been like him. injured somehow. Yeah, I don't know if he I mean. tripped and fell on the dagger yeah, in he his fell belt. On it seven he's times. like, uh, if you're going to take me to the border, I got to go over to that hospital. So according to that book, King Khan, mm -hmm. quote, Swiss journalists had not thus far recycled the scathing press coverage of him in Italy, France, and elsewhere. So there was no obvious reason for skepticism. Even the hospital's director, Dr. Emilio Sacchi, bought the line that Edgar was a prominent and very wealthy man who was also a physician. Talk of the prince generated flattering stories in the Swiss newspapers, and a parade of local worthies trooped to the hospital to pay homage to him. These visitors included numerous distinguished women, quite a few of whom seemed keen to bag him as a husband. <laughs> Less than a week ago, his life had been beset with problems, yet now it was ripe with encouraging possibilities." The con man's chorus. Yeah. So he's just laying in the hospital. Everyone's buying his game again. And then women are like, oh, I'll nurse you back to health. And he's like, oh, thank God, because I got a loan to repay. <laughs> so Contessa Ada, right? The daughter. She paid the medical bills what? in Switzerland. And then, but at the same time, she's like, I, I need to know for myself, I'm going to England and doing my own investigation. Okay. But for whatever reason, she pays the bills. He recovers. And he's like, I'm going to start touring Switzerland. <laughs> I got to get that this show back awesome. on the road. Why not? Early January 1925, he's in uh, French-speaking Nucatel, mm -hmm. Switzerland. He registers at the hotel there as Prince Tawana Ray. So he he's switching him. Yes. Tawana Ray. No longer a doctor. I had a demotion. Now I'm a prince. <laughs> but before he was Ray Tawana. Yeah, exactly. Dr. Ray Tawana. Yeah, now he's Prince Tawana Ray. He says he's a diplomat and he has millions of dollars of Canadian assets. Give me a room. <laughs> so they're like, all right. He propositioned a lot of members of staff. <laughs> and like some, some he was successful, others not. <laughs> He gets kicked out a few days later without paying his <laughs> After bill. After turning out part of the staff. <laughs> exactly. He's made his way through the through the like laundry room. Uh, the owner of the hotel took all his stuff. They like, <laughs> kicked him out and they're like, we're confiscating all your belongings. We're going to pay your bill with your headdress. He Well, he no, he gets kicked out onto the street with just his headdress, a hat and a suit. <laughs> Let him keep the headdress. Take the war bonnet, your suit, and you're out of here. <laughs> just his offensiveness and get going. Two but chapstick and a dance belt. <laughs> he's, he's out of there. All I need is this paddleball game. <laughs> Ada, she gets back from her fact-finding mission to okay. the UK. 
Um, she tells Melania, her stepmom, what she discovered. What did she discover? He's a madman and a con man, is what she's been told. <laughs> I'm glad you kind of finally caught He's up. He's got to get arrested, is what she says. So Ada goes to Switzerland to confront Edgar, but Melania super embarrassed that she fell for this scam and that she's like, please, don't go to the police. So she sends Ada, go, you confront him in person, but I'm not telling the fuzz on this one because it's going to make me look like a fool. So what's she going to do? Throw a drink in his face? Just sit home and cry. No, I mean, like the daughter, when she goes to confront him, like, what's she going to do? Like, oh, throw a drink in his wave face. a bony finger in yeah, his face? Yeah, wave a bony finger, throw a, a drink, drink in, in his face. face. Yeah. Yeah. Make a scene, walk out, okay. Well, here, but then she's going to go find Edgar, right? He's strung out and broke, <laughs> cooling out in the hospital, right? So I am happy to report that Edgar was arrested by Swiss police January 14th, 1925. Boom. Now, during questioning, he did admit to being Edgar LaPlante from Rhode Island. Oh. Yeah, he comes clean. But he told so many other lies that the Swiss police thought that that was yet another alias. <laughs> <laughs> like, we can't believe anything he says. Drown the facts in fiction. Several weeks go by. They continue their investigation. Okay, yes, it is actually. They realize, yes, this is Edgar LaPlante from Rhode Island. Ada, who thought Edgar... Still had a lot of the money that he'd taken from the family, mm -hmm. and they thought maybe we can get it back. She paid off his Swiss debts, like the hotel and everything, um, made sure he was well-treated in jail. He still cast the spell over the family, gave him money for his defense. <laughs> and so um, Ada, Melania, and the 25-year-old fail son, uh -huh. George, um, they go to visit him in jail. Dude, his Harry Johnson game must be amazing. Just yeah. like off the charts. Yeah. How is he pulling this? Yeah. Well, he promised he was going to repay the debt, and he says he's going to pay them $100 a month. Now, it's estimated <laughs> that in today's money, it's estimated that he gave away and spent as much as $65.4 million of their money. Wow. And so at that rate, it's going to take him 400 years to pay it back. He's like, 100 bucks a month. Yeah. It would take him seven generations. <laughs> exactly. So by this time, Ada and the family, they learned from Edgar's British wife, Ethel, mm -hmm. that Edgar's not Native American. They get that confirmation. <laughs> so even though he's Edgar LaPlante, he's also not Native American. Um Ethel got that intel from the Canadian government. Okay. So they're like, guess good, what? Good on her. Not First Nations. The family accused Edgar of defrauding them by, quote, using his powers as a hypnotist and master of magic. Oh, they busted out like the Rasputin mm -hmm. card on him. He did abracadabra. <laughs> or as my three-year-old nephew says, Bobby Cadaver. <laughs> Bobby Cadaver. <laughs> magic. Um, she pressed charges finally, Melania. Thank you. Thank you. In Italy. Edgar reaches out to Ethel the one in England uh -huh. for help says, guess what? We'll get back together when all this is over. I'll get, I'll, I'll come back to you. You can Baby, have me. you, me and Leslie, we're going to make yeah. a go of it. I was wrong. Well, Ethel starts writing letters of support for him and asking the U S government for help. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to need a second. I mean, <laughs> this is really disappointing. <laughs> really? I am so disappointed in so many people. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed, well, Ethel. He goes on trial in Switzerland. Uh-huh. He, his defense is partial insanity. <laughs> just a little bit. I'm a little, ha I'm half mad. Hey, which, who among us isn't, you know? Um, here's an excerpt from his cross-examination. Oh, this should be good. Do you remember that you told the authorities that you had a medical diploma from Carlisle? I don't remember. Do you not often claim to have attended Carlisle? Uh, I just went there to play football. 
A letter from that college has just been received by the authorities. It states that they don't know you, even as a football player. The gallery erupts in laughter. (laughs) Did you say that you owned a lot of land in Canada? Well, I certainly hope to own a lot of land. (laughs) I said the hope part My hopes, my dreams, don't hold them against me. He gets sentenced to one year in prison, minus time served, and a heavy fine, which he cannot pay. Uh Uh-huh. He's released from the Swiss prison October 20th, 1925. Immediately gets handed over to the Italians. <laughs> Your turn. They're like, bring him over here. Um, he's going to go on trial for charges that the Contessa has filed against him. All right. So he's held in Trieste and Turin for Turino for about a year before the trial. Okay. And then fall of 1926, the trial begins. Um, all of the Melania crew testifies against him. Edgar gets sentenced to seven years, five months, and 15 days, and a 9,000 lira fine, and an order to repay one million, over one million lira to Melania. Yeah, good luck. Not going to happen. So he's in prison. He works in a knitwear shop. He hand-embroidered and also operated a weaving machine. (laughs) And he had a lot of cash, though, when he's in prison because— How did he have cash in prison? A wealthy female Belgian writer— what who the? believed in his cause, uh, his self-proclaimed cause as an Indian rights campaigner. <laughs> he, he, she's sending him money and he puts half in the commissary and he puts the other half to like have it so that a special lunch is brought into him every day from a, a local restaurant. He really should have gone into politics. He yeah. missed his yeah. mark. I mean, And the Belgian uh, writer is like, you know what, when you get out, you can be my chauffeur. <laughs> Or my secretary, you could be my bodyguard when you get out. Yeah, Just pick I, one. Uh-huh, my bodyguard. Uh-huh, you know, guard that body. <laughs> um, but he says, no, I can't because I'm, I don't want to. He says, quote, I'm not certain what I want to do with the rest of my life. I'm a footloose and fancy free Edgar LaPlante, baby. I'm just finding myself. Yeah. So he gets transferred to a prison near Rome and thanks to good behavior, paroled after just two and a half years of his sentence. He couldn't leave for two months, though, until he secured a ticket back to America. We want to know you're leaving. So he's got no money. <laughs> so the U.S. consulate's like, all right, we got you a job as a mess steward on an American cargo vessel, the SS Executive. It's leaving mid-August 1929. Edgar kisses American soil, September 20th, 1929, Brooklyn, carrying nothing but, quote, a dog-eared copy of the transcript of his Italian trial, <laughs> Some 15, light reading. $15 bills, and a wooden spoon used for the duration of his imprisonment. Wait, a no. wooden spoon? <laughs> no word on the war bonnet if he's still wearing that. And what did he need the wooden spoon for the duration of his imprisonment? Is this like a poop knife? Like, what is this? <laughs> he's just, you know, it's for like all the sundry thing, digging out of the cell, eating porridge. <laughs> With a wooden spoon? Scooping your own eyeball out. The I don't know. The only thing it would be good for is the porridge. Well, Everything else, it's like, come on. The only clothes that he was wearing, a gray suit and a pair of tan Oxfords. Mm-hmm. And... Um, there were reporters waiting for him when he disembarked. Naturally, because his PR team had the advanced work. <laughs> so he tells the New York Times that he's given up his whole game. <laughs> and he would, quote, remain plain Edgar LaPlante of Paw Tucket, Rhode Island. Look, he's even lying he's where he's from there. And go in for some ordinary job like umbrella fixing. Is that a job? I don't know, but he says that's what, he, you know what I mean? Just be an ordinary guy, just your everyday umbrella fixer. <laughs> he knows nothing about work, so he's like, I could be a ditch digger. He's like, I could be a umbrella fixer. He's just looking he's around looking the around. crowd. He's like, yellow robed umbrella. That guy's got a broken umbrella. I could fix that for a job. He said that during his time with the Contessas, he realized that, you know, I'm not a Native American, <laughs> but that, quote, 
As he felt sure anyone with a spark of romance may see, it was hard for him to disavow a tale that meant so much in attention and money. This part, I believe, is honest. That's the first honest statement. It just felt too good. He tells the Brooklyn Daily Eagle that he was part of the Tuscarora tribe (laughs) and that he got his name Chief White Elk from a PR man and that he was interpreting for the Native Americans acting in a film. His imagination is amazing. He also told the reporter that Ada had thrown money and gifts at him and that (laughs) the stepson got him arrested because he was jealous. Oh, Georg. And when talking about an Italian jail, he said, quote, All I ever had to eat was thin soup and half-steamed spaghetti. I used to starve myself so that the doctor would order milk and eggs just to get off that diet for a few days. The only person to go to Italy and complain about the food. (laughs) Chief White Elk. March 1930, he's living in Boston. Still trying to make it as Chief White Elk. (laughs) He's back on the bit. And he's looking for two women to accompany him on a touring radio show. Oh, man. Strikes out on that one. Moves to Pawtucket. To li- live with his cousin. So he does, okay, he's not really lying. Now he, he now finally he goes to falls Pawtucket. back to family. Yeah. He gets a job as Chief White Elk <laughs> <laughs> at a vaudeville venue and then starts touring the Northeast. He again goes back to using the name Chief Tawana, but now he's Chief Louis Tawana. Oh, my God. I would love for some Haudenosaunee from, like, the upstate New oh York to come God. down to one of his shows and be like, brother, we just want to talk <laughs> after the show. Yes. 1932. Now he's in Oregon. Mm. And he claimed he was a 65-year-old Native American and former Olympian. He tried to convince locals to give him money so he could get to L.A. where the Summer, summer Olympics were being held. Oh, they had, I, mean, I didn't know that. Yeah. 1935. So it goes from L.A. to Berlin, 32, 36? That's I don't wild. Know. No, I don't know. Well, we know the 36 is to Berlin because of Hitler, then 32, yeah. but in L.A. wild. 35, back in Pawtucket, working as a church organist. Okay. And an amateur umbrella repairman. They say the church is the uh, last refuge of the scoundrels. There it so is. I'm not surprised. Late 1937, he's now in Montana, calling himself Dr. Dylan White Elk. What's up, Dylan? Part of an Alaskan delegation traveling to D.C. to, quote, protest illegal Japanese fishing in American territorial waters. Oh, it's a legitimate cause for the time. He's shifting all over the place now. Okay. Uh, Late 38, he gets hospitalized in Flint, Michigan after having a heart attack. Now, August 39, he has another heart attack, this time in Northern California. He tells the hospital staff there that, quote, Four years previously, he'd led a team of nine dog sleds through the Alaskan (laughs) wilderness. He said his objective had been to reach the crashed airplane in which the columnist, broadcaster, and Hollywood star Will Rogers had been flying. What? The Associated Press Wire Service picked up Edgar's story, providing a conduit into newspapers up and down the West Coast. Everyone loves a good story. And later in Oregon, he says he's Dr. E. Warren LaPlante. So I got to say, if you want to see the world, either join the military or become a convict. Yes. Because these one of people the two. are bouncing around. Summer 42. We've come yes. a long way. 1910, we started this journey. What part of the country are we now? New Orleans. Ah, see? That's what yeah, I'm talking about. He has a third heart attack. Oh. And he makes some money for selling fake shares in non-existent oil companies. <laughs> solid, or, solid scam in the 40s. And then he goes to Phoenix. December 43, he's calling himself Dr. White Eagle. He says he's a native of the nearby town of Gila Bend and by implication of the Papago tribe, many of whom lived in the Gila River Indian Reservation. Okay. I just hope that some of them would come into town. Catches pneumonia, bronchitis, dies from a heart attack, January 23rd, 1944. Death certificate lists his name as White Eagle, Dr. Indian Male. Gets Um. it in the very end. Lies to the end. What's your ridiculous takeaway here? Uh, oh, man. 
if you're going to be a charlatan, go big. Mm-hmm. If you're going to pick an ethnicity, pick one that apparently nobody knows anything about and mm-hmm. would never question because if you can just be native, you're like, oh, yeah, you got yeah, the headdress, yeah. must be native. Right. So I'm going to go do that. I'm going to see if I can get myself, like, I don't know, a couple of them, like, uh, Kaiser Wilhelm hats. Yeah. And we get the spike in the top. I'm going to tell go. people that I'm a German royalty and I'm going to see how far I can take this. Perfect. My takeaway, since you asked. Yeah, I'm sorry about he's, that. He's a bozo. That's my takeaway. <laughs> totally. Contessas, bozos. The only non-bozo main characters, Bertha and the adopted daughter. The rest, everyone's a bozo. <laughs> the end. That's it. I'm done. You can find us online at <laughs> Ridiculous Crime on both Twitter and Instagram. Bozos, all of them. Got a tip for us about a ridiculous crime you want to hear about? Want to confess to a ridiculous crime? Email us at ridiculouscrime at gmail.com. The world is divided into bozos and rude dudes. Don't let the bozos get you down. Be a rude dude. Tune in next time. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett. Produced and edited by indifferent Italian consul General Dave Kustin. Research is by the savvy and undupable Contessa Marissa Brown. The theme song is by 12-time Olympian Thomas Lee and totally real and not fake medical doctor Travis Dutton. Executive producers are war bond salesman Ben Bolin and Noel Brown. Ridiculous crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. 
Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.